0: Welcome to the Staying Ageless podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Asosa E., also known as Raw Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking to a living example of longevity and good health in our longevity series on the power of raw food. To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys a really brief rundown of two things you can do to set yourself up for living that ageless life. And later, we'll be chatting with our expert for today, the incredible Dr. Aris Letem. I am so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show. If today's show inspires you, I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback, so any reviews are much appreciated. When I first got fascinated with longevity in my early 20s, I was inspired by these living examples. I would meet them or I would have the opportunity to interview them, and they were really living their best lives at ages well over 70 and beyond. Meeting these people, or in some cases, even just reading about them, Open my mind to the idea that aging does not have to look the way our society paints it. We will all age inevitably, but whether we age and spend years on medications, grappling with severe aches and pains, and begin to lose our fitness and mental faculties has more to do with us and the decisions that we make every single day. If you're like me and you're all about that hashtag ageless life, here are two things that will help you on your journey. Number one, We have to have consistent wellness rituals. One thing I've noticed from interviewing healthy individuals in their golden years is that their health philosophy is far from the magic bullet type of thinking because they know that there is not one pill or supplement (laughs) or just one good day of exercise that will amount to good health. They are all incredibly gangsta and consistent with their routines. And the routine can be anything from Bernardo Lapayo, a man that I interviewed when he was 109 who made a superfood smoothie every single day without fail, or the incredible fitness legend, Jack LaLanne. At age 42, He set the world record for push-ups by doing over 1,023 minutes. At the age of 45, he did 1,000 jumping jacks and 1,000 pull-ups in one hour and 22 minutes. At the age of 60, he swam from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf the second time. This time, he not only wore handcuffs, but he also towed a 1,000-pound boat. To celebrate his 70th birthday, Lelaine swam... 1.5 miles along the California coast from the Queensway Bridge to Long Beach Harbor. And he did it while wearing handcuffs and shackles on his arms and legs and towing 70 rowboats holding 70 people. Chow? how do you accomplish this? Well, basically for 60 years, yeah, you heard me right, 60 years, this was Jack LaLanne's regimen. He would lift weights and do strength training for 90 minutes. He would swim or run for 30 minutes. He would eat at least 10 raw vegetables a day. He would only eat two meals a day, a late breakfast and an early dinner, and he would wake up every single day at 4 a.m. If that doesn't speak to the power of consistency, I don't know what does. The second thing we can do is be sober, mind, body, and spirit. The American Addiction Center has the results of studies that show the effect of long-term effects of drug abuse published, and the stats are not pretty Users of heroin from 1 to 5 times daily can decrease their lifespan by 30 to 50 years, cocaine 11 to 32 years, meth 20 to 43 years of life lost. However, for the majority of us, hard drugs are not the real issue. Because drinking alcohol is normalized and a part of our social culture, a lot of us do not see recreational use of alcohol as an issue, but it actually can affect your longevity. Alcohol can lead to a shorter life expectancy in several ways. Uh, Drinking alcohol on a regular and long-term basis can increase the risk of developing life-threatening diseases or conditions, including stroke, damage to the heart, high blood pressure, cirrhosis of the liver, pancreatitis, cancer of the liver, head, neck, colon, breast, or esophagus. Long-term alcohol abuse can also decrease life expectancy due to a weakened immune system. Too much alcohol can make it harder for the immune system to fight infections and illnesses. A 2014 study on people with alcohol use disorder in Sweden, Finland, and Denmark showed that life expectancy was between 24 and 28 years shorter compared to the general population. The average life expectancy for men with alcohol use disorder was between 47 and 53 years, and for women, 50 to 58 years. The study also showed that increased mortality due to all causes of deaths, including diseases, medical conditions, and suicide. And then there's smoking. According to the Centers for Disease Control, life expectancy for smokers is at least 10 years shorter than non-smokers. Quitting smoking before the age of 40 reduces the risk of dying from smoking-related diseases about 90%. So what does this all mean? If longevity is your end game, it's important to watch your consumption of drugs, including the socially acceptable ones. Often, many of us think we are drinking moderately, when in fact, our consumption is borderline substance abuse. So check yourself, practice moderation as much as you can, or, if you know you need to, abstain altogether. All right, this week I am ecstatic to have as our guest an amazing living example of longevity who happens to be 100% on a plant-based uncooked diet and has been for over 40 years. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we will chat with our guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com and I'm a certified nutrition specialist who specializes in helping women discover what exercise and diet is best for their bodies. Clients who have worked with me have reversed hypertension, diabetes, balanced hormonally, got rid of acne for good, and lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a free 20-minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest is Dr. Aris Latam, who is a sunfired Food scientist, linguist, and educator who is considered to be the father of gourmet ethical raw foods cuisine in America. He debuted his raw food creations in 1979 when he started Sunfire Foods, a live food company in Harlem, New York. In the years since, he has trained thousands of raw food chefs and added innumerable recipes to his repertoire. Dr. Aris has been vegetarian for 49 years and has eaten sun fired foods exclusively for the past 43 years. He was voted one of the top vegetarian chefs in the USA by Vegetarian Times Magazine and has been featured in Essence, Jamaican Eats, Vegetarian Gourmet, HealthQuest, Upscale, UK's Balance, and Japan's Tarzan Fitness magazines. He's also been featured in newspapers like The Washington Post, Philadelphia Inquirer, Harlem's Amsterdam News, and more. Dr. Aris Latam studied at the University of Lagan in Ghana, New York University, and graduated from the College of Satin Island with a B.A. in Education and Spanish. He also completed graduate studies at California State University Fullerton with majors in Linguistics and Bilingual Education, where he was a polyglot scholar of Kiswahili, Sanskrit, Italian, Arabic, and Ebonics. Professor Latam taught Spanish, Kiswahili, and English as a second language at the secondary school level in New York City and New Jersey. His sun-fired cuisine delicacies have been catered to numerous celebrities and dignitaries, and he has been sought after to present and cater to organizations such as the United States Congress, Agape Ministry, National Medical Association Convention, the Washington, D.C. Commission of Public Health, Washington Hospital Cancer Institute, United Nation AIDS, and many more. SunFired Foods has been featured nationally and internationally by BET, the Food Network, Temple University Medical School Forum, Organic Food Producers Association of North America, CNBC Alive and Wellness, ABC Eyewitness News, CBS News, and many more. He also at one time was the executive chef at Hippocrates Health Institute, West Palm Beach, Florida. Dr. Aris is presently sharing his expertise in the Cayman Islands as a chef-in-residence at the Palm Heights Hotel in Grand Cayman. He's the recipient of an honorary doctorate degree in some fire food sciences from the City University of Los Angeles. Over the past 40 years, his brands, SunFired Raw Foods International, Paradise Pies, Juice Is, and Ari's Life have graced the palate of hundreds of thousands of hungry health seekers across the globe, spreading his mantra of "It's not the food in your life, but the life in your food that nourishes." Well, thank you so much um, for joining me today. I'm really, really excited to chat with you. Um, you're kind of a legend in the raw food community. <laughs> And um, I also feel like you've accomplished a lot in your life. You you seem to have, like, a really interesting life. It seems like you've had several careers. At one point, you were an educator. You've mastered a whole bunch of languages. Um, Where did it all begin for you with food? Like, what was the spark that led you down the path to becoming a chef and then also, like, adopting the lifestyle that you have now?
1: Well, you know, I... Really, I I feel that it all started from birth. Mm. Yeah, and of course, you know, I'm now 72, so you know, I I definitely have had a lot of time to live to get a few things done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, basically, I was born in the uh, Panama Canal Zone,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: in a rainforest. You know, my grandparents had migrated there from Jamaican Barbados. Okay. So my grandparents had a really large household. They had nine children and we all lived together, <laughs> you know, all of uh, the offspring. So my grandparents, nine children and their spouse, <laughs> spouses, we all pretty much lived in one household, you know, it's probably like at least 50 of us at home at any given time. Wow. So of course that, that meant a, a lot of cookups, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. every day. <laughs> And my grandmother was was the family chef.
3: <laughs> okay. And
1: uh, I I couldn't wait to to get in the kitchen. Finally, I think I was like about six years old. <laughs> you know, to to help her wash the dishes, grate her the coconut. You know, like anything to be at grandma's side when she was in the kitchen. You know. Mm. So that's when the initial sparks, you know, started flying. Okay. And. You know, also then uh, migrating to New York and being with my mother, who uh, was a chef at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York. She pretty much followed in my mo- grandmother's footsteps, you know. <laughs> so these these were my mentors, you know. <laughs> Growing up in their kitchen was, was all I needed to know that, you know, this is my path, especially once I... Uh, moved from my mother's home and uh set up my own home, you know, I had to now get in there and defend my 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 palate, you know. Right. And they they had given me a good foundation to stand on. So uh so we're talking, you know, uh the sixties, you know, the late sixties mm-hmm. in New York City, you know, uh on the college campus and uh Bayside, New York, and hanging out with the hippies and, you know, the anti-Vietnam War movement, the uh, Black Power movement. Mm. So for us then, you know, it was about revolution. You know, it was a revolutionary era.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And me and, and my posse, you know, our revolution <laughs> was about food, you know, not... uh shooting ourselves with an apple that was waxed and that kind of stuff. So we saw food as a weapon, Mm. and we knew it then. So that's when it really all started basically defending my life, you know, protecting my, my, my health, because I saw the big shift in my stamina and everything from migrating from the forest into an urban environment and having the dietary shift. I saw how everything shifted for me in terms of my, my vitality. Right. So for me, it was really coming back home, you know, getting into becoming a a vegetarian at that time, 50 years ago, you know? Wow. And, uh, so as life progressed for me through the journey, you know, I, uh, I just basically stumbled into, uh, being a, a chef, being a, a food enthusiast, you know, <laughs> and uh, eventually just basically globetrotting, you know, globetrotting and being on a mission to, uh, to share what I know with others.
2: Hmm.
0: That's awesome. What is the sun-fired food philosophy? Like, what is that? Can you explain that to people who may have no idea
1: Yeah, well, the sun-fired food philosophy, well, first of all, sun-fired is a a word that I coined Mm. in 1979 when I uh, moved to Harlem after returning from living in in, uh, Tanzania up in the Kilimanjaro area with the Maasai. Prior to that, I was living in California Mm -hmm. in the San Bernardino forest you know, up there in the San Gregorio Forest in San Bernardino, whereas when I became uh, 100% uh, eating all live foods Mm. in 1976. So uh, over those little few years, I realized that the whole uh, approach to calling what we ate back then raw food just didn't sit right with me, Mm. you know, because I I just didn't, I just could not accept that, you know, lettuce and tomatoes, you know, (laughs) nuts were were raw, you know, these things are are cooked, because I don't have to cook them. Right. I can eat them without putting them on a stove, you know, firing up the place. Right. So, When I started a co-op in Harlem in 1979, basically to get my organic produce in the inner city where it wasn't available at the time, uh, the co-op evolved into a a business for profit. Mm. You know, it it just, you know, my uh, my buddies just weren't cooperating, you know, with the concept. (laughs) So I just had to, uh, you know, basically had to have it take care of me so I won't have to go out to work. Okay. So, coming up with the terminology sun fired was basically what I did is, you know, rejecting raw food, rejecting even living food.
2: Mm. Because
1: I saw, you know, there were other things that people were eating that were called living foods, like, you know, oysters and clams and lobsters and these kinds right. of things, you know. So, I really wanted to make sure I was clear. And the terminology that kind of resonated with me back then. Uh, the most was a concept called unfired foods, basically the connote that the food was not cooked.
2: Yes. So
1: for me, it was like, oh, no, there's nothing on about what I'm doing. I need to really present it in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So I simply just added an S to mm. unfired foods. And there came about sun foods. Gotcha. you. So the whole concept of sun-fired foods is that our food is cooked by the sun. Mm. So it's not that I take food and chop it up and put it in the sun to cook. (laughs) No. For me, it's it's the growing period is the cooking process. Mm. So from the time the cherry tree in Washington blossoms till the time we have these really rich, sweet, ripe, juicy <laughs> cherries, mm-hmm. that's been the cooking process, the cooking period. Mm. So basically fit, ready to eat, ripe, good for harvest foods, or cooked food. They are sun-fired foods. So what we do at the Sun-Fired Culinary Institute is that we do not cook the sun out of the food.
3: Right. <laughs> Love so the that.
1: approach is actually, is to Eat the sun. <laughs> right. And since we can't just grab a bite of it, <laughs> you know, we can eat it in its condensed form what we find in the form of fruits, vegetables, and so forth and so on.
0: Wow. That's amazing. And you've been sun-fired for how long?
1: It's been 44 years now. Ooh, child. Sun-fired. No <laughs> cooked food whatsoever.
0: Wow. That is, correct. <laughs> that is inspiring. Um, can you tell us some things that you feel like you've done over the years that have helped you sustain it? I feel like a lot of people find it uh, challenging as, as far as like sustainability, et cetera. I know that I did when I was living in Africa and different places. Sometimes I actually found it harder. So I would love to know what you what you think may have helped you sustain it besides obviously just sheer will. <laughs>
1: Well, I think one of the main thing has been the foundation on which I grew up on, mm. which was basically a foundation of fresh foods.
2: Mm. So
1: even growing up in Panama with, with my grandparents, you know, whatever we ate, it was always fresh.
2: Mm.
1: If it's fish, it was fresh catch that day. <laughs> right. You know? if, if it was pork, it was fresh killed that morning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, of course, I was brought up in the era of, you know, pretty much like no refrigerator. You know, it was like an ice bucket, <laughs> you know, to keep things, to hold it overnight, possibly, you know, if, if even that long, especially in the tropics, the ice is going to melt before you wake up the next morning.
3: Yeah. You know?
1: And then also being in a limited situation as the descendant of migrant workers. <laughs> Mm. You know, basically living in a work campsite. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. You know,
1: we did not have the luxuries to be able to uh, like really stretch out and have certain foods that were uh, processed. Okay. So pretty much, you know, fresh, unprocessed has been my legacy. Mm. So once I got into all sun-fired foods, I've pretty much kept that up. And even up to today. I consume very little processed foods,
2: mm-hmm.
1: powders and, you know, things of that sort. You know, right. my preference is market fresh, you know, mm-hmm. foods that's going to spoil. So basically what I consume is about 90%, you know, fresh market fruits and vegetables. Yeah. The other 10% is some nuts and seeds and seaweeds and not even spices and herbs that I would consume personally
2: mm-hmm.
1: of course as an as as an educator, I have another another role, another life <laughs> you know
2: mm-hmm.
1: so but I try to really uh be honest with myself and with the people that I educate and not try to corner them into only teaching them what I would consume mm-hmm. you know or putting them in the position because I find that that's one of the challenges that many of our uh, students face when they get educated in these different schools of thought. And it's like, this one only wants you to eat, you know, so many bananas. The other one don't want <laughs> you to eat, you know, that many. Yeah. And all of these things. So it creates a, a, a sense of confusion and uncertainty. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. And so, in my, in my experience as a practitioner, working with thousands of clients now, I've just, seeing how different every single person is and sometimes also when you you have to approach people where they are if you know what i mean so exactly. not everybody can go <laughs> unfortunately not everyone can go straight all the way to raw and then also there's also just differences based on their you know um on their on their own constitution their family history oh, yeah. genetics all that oh, yeah
1: oh yeah Yeah, so for me, even in certain circumstances, I would teach people how to cook as Mm, well, (laughs) you know, to extend that bridge. Yeah. You know, actually, even most of the establishments, uh, food establishment restaurants that I've owned, I've always had some degree of cooked foods,
2: you Mm. know,
1: to have that because there are many people, like, my mother would have never come to my restaurant if I was only serving all raw food <laughs> right, but she would come to my restaurant to have my my rice and peas right no, but I'm with you now on that she gets introduced no,
0: yeah, no, my, I'm with you on that
1: my live food, and then she's got that bridge, so once they're secure, so I teach a a a balanced concept, yeah, you know, and then you you know work with your own reality and develop your own eating program yourself.
0: That's good. That's real good. So
1: so yeah, so the kind of thing that has really like sustained me over the years doing this number one also is being an educator.
2: Mm. I
1: find that the more I teach, the more I learn.
2: Mm. You
1: know, especially based on the way I was taught through my mother and my grandmother it's, you know, of course, through, you know, direct personal experience, but the whole oral tradition, you yeah. know, <laughs> is very crucial. It's very, it's a big key to really uh, self learning, because then you open up yourself to, to absorb more from yeah. the universe, you know, if you're sharing on this open platform, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. rather than being cornered into a box and then cornering your students to fit in that box with you as well. So it's been a tremendous blessing just being, uh, you know, able to educate. So these are the things that have helped me yeah. to maintain over these years, you know, because I'm sharing with others constantly and I have to pretty much just practice what I preach. Yeah. Live it. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, there are other mechanics, there are other dynamics, very crucial, you know, because food is an addiction, it can be a drug. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to really set your boundaries very clearly, you know. So for me, my initial boundary was no cooked food whatsoever, no matter what. Mm. But after that, like, you know, as long as it's plant food and it's not cooked, it's like anything goes, you know. Right. So I would have a, a onion and date sandwich, you know. <laughs> Forget food combining, but as long as it just wasn't not, no cooked food involved. So we have to start where we are and we have to be comfortable with where we are. But then, of course, you know, here comes the research, here comes the, the, the scientific information to validate things. And then also the body within itself with its own uh, power to, to be what it is and heal itself. It pretty much gets on uh, a course where it actually guides you. You mm. just have to be, stay tuned to that, you know, and see what what the body is telling us. So being away from, you know, being caught up with just the whole uh, mass eating concept, you know, like eating out, I, I stopped eating out like years ago. Wow. Because I realized I would eat certain things that would stimulate and trigger me to, you know, want to go back for some cooked food. Right. And other environmental hazard that I had to deal with was like smoking ganja, you know, mm. <laughs> Hey, I got the munchies and raw food, and Apple was just not cutting it. So, getting all of those things in the proper perspective, right. really getting over the hump and then refining your relationship with the food that you consume, I, I just can't see how you can ever really turn back. It really becomes a one way street because anything that brings me down from this ecstasy of what I'm consuming. It's like my body just rejects it. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to sneeze. Right. You know, because I know when I eat such and such food, I'm going to be sneezing.
0: Yeah, that happens to me too. (laughs) Yep. So you're considered a food scientist. You have an honorary PhD in food science. So cool. What are some things that you've learned about combining foods and ingredients over the years that you feel like people can benefit from?
1: Oh, I, I will learn a tremendous deal, <laughs> you know, through <laughs> practical application. Yeah. Uh, and then also observing the scientific principles.
0: Give me some highlights. And, you
1: know, well, I tell you, the big highlight for me is, uh, is the moisture content in the food. That's the driving factor. Of course, you know, the human body is approximately 70% moisture. Mm -hmm. So your intake should pretty much reflect that on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And then understanding the fact that, you know, if you saturate your food with a lot of liquid, a lot of moisture, say like a a bowl of soup, you know, with with corn and, you know, uh, carrots and, you know, all these foods, it's sitting in water. It's like you cannot basically... uh, drink and eat at the same setting right food is just not going to digest properly so just a soup the way we know it is a bad food combination unless it's pureed or something like that it's blended but to actually say the whole concept that you know that i grew up with in the british culture which my grandparents were part of from the west indies it's like having tea and having bread, and you soak the bread in the tea, <laughs> hmm. you know, and eat the bread. So now the body has to reextract that liquid, that juice, that tea, from the solid food. So one of the most fundamental principles is don't drink and eat at the same meal, right. at the same time, because uh, you not only uh, have to now reextract that liquid, but also the 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 uh, the liquid displaces the digestive enzymes in the food and challenge that meal that you just consumed Mm. uh, for the body to now produce an excessive amount of digestive enzymes to process that food. But the the big thing is uh, just looking, say, within the fruit kingdom Mm -hmm. of not combining, say, acid and sweet-tasting fruits. right. So the acid fruits are generally extremely high in moisture.
2: Hmm.
1: Pineapple, oranges, oranges strawberries, right. and so forth. As opposed to the sweet fruits, they're very dense,
2: mm. very low in moisture. Mm.
1: Bananas, dates, you know, dried pineapples and these types of things. Persimmons and mm. these things. They're extremely low in moisture. So I see the difference. <laughs> I see the difference. Like, a watermelon gets absorbed within a matter of minutes mm-hmm. when you eat watermelon. Mm-hmm. But you eat a watermelon with banana, <laughs> the banana takes over the digestive process. The watermelon gets held back, right? And it ferments. You know, watermelon spoils very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it gets ferments in the stomach, fermented. So the sugar was not able to move on. <laughs> yeah, you know, it got held back. And then uh, you get an acid reaction. So just these simple things, you know, that most of us can observe without even having to go through, you know, a food combination chart. You know, just, you know, having a banana and a watermelon just automatically you look at it. It just doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) In the same bite. Right. And then the the separation of, of the protein. And the starches. Yes. You know, the fatty foods, rich protein, and the complex carbohydrates that need to be converted into sugar. Yes. These foods just don't digest harmoniously in our system together because one digests chemically, the other one mechanically. One's primary uh, mode of digestion is in the mouth, mixing with saliva, secreting digestive enzymes to break down the starches. Mm. So right there, we have a bad food combination <laughs> mm. and something is going to go off and on and on. So observing these things on a personal level, direct, you know, it really just helped me to shape and formulate, you know, my science, which I call the electromagnetic energies of sun-fired foods. Mm. So to see within the four different groups of fresh or plant foods, period, not just necessarily this, oh, this fresh, but plant foods. You have the sugar-based foods,
2: mm-hmm. which are the
1: fruits. You have the fatty-based foods, which are the protein. You have those that are based with a uh, high amount of starch, which are the complex carbohydrates. And then you have a fourth group that has no starch, no sugar, and no fat, which is generally classified as vegetables. <laughs> In a food combination chart, so to see how to work with these four different groups harmoniously to develop your eating system, you know, uh, the ones, the fruits which are higher in 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 moisture. Besides being high in sugar, they're higher in moisture as a group. So, looking at our rhythms of our lives, say the cycles we go through on a daily basis, where we're sleeping for eight hours. Fasting, breaking down the dead cells, building new one, doing our repair work. Then we wake up, we have eight hours where we're emptying the trash bin of the waste that were was generated during our sleep. Mm-hmm. So we now need to uh, eliminate. So that's our elimination phase. Yes. And the third phase of our day, the third eight hours is when we're putting in the building material, the building blocks. You know, mm-hmm. We're having solid meals. So, how do these four groupings fit into the scheme of our day and developing our eating plan? So, in the elimination period, we want foods that are high in moisture mm. and that are rich in fiber to just come in, and we have eight hours, which I would call the breakfast period, mm. where you're coming in and you're sweeping, mopping, scrubbing, scraping, and flushing things out. <laughs> yeah. So the foods you want to consume during this period are foods that facilitate that. So these I call the electrical foods, the foods that are highest in moisture. And the primary one being your coconut water, your young coconut water. Yes. High in electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> flushes things out. The next most uh, electrolytic high content foods. Or your melons, particularly the watermelon,
2: Mm.
1: 99% moisture. So basically, you can just eat nothing but watermelon for breakfast in the morning, and it's going to clean the house automatically. Yeah. (laughs) Clear it out, you know. So then we have our, uh, basically the afternoon so even I, you know, in my science, I even delineate, you know, the, the times of the day. You know, ideally, we should be sleeping when it's dark outside. <laughs> you right. know, some of us even put on masks at night to try to make sure we're sleeping, we're, we're resting, you know, or whenever we're sleeping. But between 8 p.m. and 4 a.m., that's the natural time to be fasting, to be sleeping, to shut the system down. Nothing gets past your lips, and it's automatic. You yeah. know, we don't have a choice. A built-in safety valve. And when we wake up in the morning, ideally, if you're living like where I am now, in the tropics, uh, close to the equator, you know, the sun rises about 6 o'clock. Yeah. So a couple of hours before that, you feel the vibration of the energy of the sun on your horizon.
2: Yeah. So
1: the rooster starts crowing at 4 a.m. <laughs> <You laughs> yeah. Know? So between 4 a.m. and 12 noon, this is the break fast period. We're not talking about a meal. We're not talking about a breakfast. That is a complete corruption of the whole concept of break fast, breaking the fast. <laughs> so it's an eight-hour period of emptying the, the waste bin. <laughs> yeah. Elimination. So, yes, we have these high-moisture foods, full with fiber, no building foods which are your magnetic foods, as opposed to the cleansing foods, which are the electrical. And the magnetic foods are the ones that are dense, that are lower in moisture, primarily your protein and your starches. Mm. So we have those from 12 noon to 8 p.m., giving the the system now building blocks for the body to be able to work with, (laughs) to do its repair work and build new cells. Well, you know, when we go back into that fasting mode. (laughs) Right. So the protein and the starches, these are the foods we consume for lunch and dinner. But now we have to separate them because <laughs> together they don't digest properly in the same medium at the same meal. You know, the meat and potato, you know, just doesn't work. Yeah. You need to separate the potato the starch, the complex carbohydrate from the meat, the protein. One has to be broken into a simple sugar. Simple carbohydrate; the other one has to be broken down into an, uh, into amino acids, and the body just can't perform those two functions at the same time. Mm. So, I recommend the protein for lunch, the starch for dinner, because you don't want to have the starch for lunch after you've just eaten all of this watermelon. You don't want to put a potato in your system,
3: right? For
1: lunch, because the the, the brain is going to automatically signal you know, that, hey, I'm not going to secrete digestive enzyme to turn that potato into sugar. I'm saturated with sugar now. You just had all of this watermelon. So the starch don't get digested, doesn't get converted into sugar. And what happens to this undigested starch? And then also, you're going to lace your potato with butter or oil or some kind of fat, Mm -hmm. which again, even complicates it even more. These Starches are known nutritionally as complex carbohydrates.
3: Yeah. Just
1: the way they are, they're complicated foods. A bean is a complicated food. Beans are a combination of starch and protein. (laughs) Most of them having more starch than protein. Mm -hmm. So automatically, they're going to gas you up. They're not going to digest properly, even just having, say, a bowl of chili beans. (laughs) You're going to be gassed up. You're going to be passing wind. So all of that, you know, it's just little minor things that we encounter along the way in this learning experience. Yeah. So we, we have those starches for dinner, the protein for lunch, and now we want to balance these foods because they're too dense, they're too rich, they're building food, they will construct the system. One would build uh, muscle tissue like protein, it, it stacks the muscles, but the starches, they blow us up. They're stuffers, they're <laughs> stuffing, we get stuffed up. So we now have to separate them. And then also we have to balance them with what now we call the electromagnetic foods. The electromagnetic foods are the stabilizers, the balancers, the neutral foods. These are our vegetables
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the vegetable group are the, the green leafy vegetables, all of your green leaves, they're electromagnetic, approximately 50% moisture. Mm -hmm. your non-starchy vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and things of this nature, and also your vegetable fruits, Mm -hmm. fruits that contain no sugar, no fat, and no starch in any high-rich concentration. Mm. Tomatoes, bell peppers, zucchini, eggplant, okra, these are your electromagnetic food group. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: you have for lunch, you have your protein, approximately 25% with 75% (laughs) vegetables. Right. Electromagnetic foods. For dinner, you have your starch, your potato, with vegetables. (laughs) Yeah. Broccoli, spinach, you name it. You're answering the question
0: that I was going to ask, which was, (laughs) I feel like a lot of people are like, there are some people who get really keen on the fruitarian side, Or they're arguing to do a certain balance. But it sounds like, I mean, your philosophy makes a lot of sense to me in the sense that I do think that if you're sticking more with like green vegetables, if you have a large majority of these electromagnetic foods, you're not going to throw your body off of
1: balance. That's correct. Those are the stabilizers. That's the bridge. Yeah. You know, Yes, we, we, we grew up, you know, as a species, we grew up, you know, a period of time in, in the tropical rainforest, mm-hmm. abundance of fruits, <laughs> you know, we were fr- frugivorous in a certain era of time, Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah, our brain kept expanding and growing beautifully because, you know, the fruits are, you know, as some scientists have pointed out to us recently, the, the fruits are basically like the sex, sexual organs, the sexual glands. Mm. Of the plant kingdom. Mm. So when you're eating a mango, you're getting this whole thing with, with the reproductive energy in it, the seed <laughs> and the fruit, the, the 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 juice, the moisture, the fiber, and all of these things. Now we're a long way from home. <laughs> right. And to just slip back into a fruitarian existence just like that, especially eating on, on depleted soils out of California and these other places, we're not getting all of the vital nutrients. There's a bridge to get us back home and the bridge are the vegetables, the greens, you know, the nation, humanity is sick and the herbs are for the healing of the nation.
2: Mm. So we
1: can't just bypass them now. Yeah. But And then the starches and the protein, the rich concentrated starches and protein, especially the plant protein that a lot of us are turning to in mass right now, most of them are hybrid. They're mutant, mutated foods. Yeah. It's, it's only been 10,000 years since we've been eating rice and corn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like these other types of foods. Even a lot of the nuts and seeds. Yeah. You know, these are not our original foods. But so, yes, now we need to strike that balance. So that's why I present this four-pronged system with the fruits, the vegetables, the protein, and the starches. And you can start off with 25% of each. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, the springboard, but it's a guidepost. So you now have to individualize it. You have to defend your life. You have to protect your health. And you have to get in there and take ownership and develop your system to work for your particular needs based on your activities, based on your genetics, based on many different factors environments and all of these things and work out your perfect my plate according yeah. to Michelle Obama it's about <laughs> my plate <laughs> no and you got to there's no one plate that suits us all you need to get busy take ownership defend your life and figure out your plate
0: love it can you please tell us you're 72 years young and I love speaking to anyone over the age of 60 who's fabulous and is in really great health because I want to know every single thing that they do, not because I want to copy it, uh, because I'm just fascinated by it. So um, I'd just love to lo- know a little bit more like about your personal regimen, if there are other things that you, besides just diet, that you include in your lifestyle that you feel are attributed to having great health.
1: Just the simple things of being able to use my you know senses you know properly you know and and not getting caught up in things that really just doesn't complement my senses and being able to exercise being able to you know live in a certain environment where i can get the proper air uh being in certain places where i can where i'm not in a crowded urban space mm-hmm. you know yes i do want to have access to it? I do want to go at will, but I want to be in a position where I don't even have to be beholding to anybody's thoughts, you know, anybody's ideas or opinions. Mm-hmm. I, if it comes my way, I listen, I observe, and if there's something I need from it, it's going to be internalized automatically. But the whole mass acculturation, you know. Of going to the movies, you know, turning on the television, and basically being programmed, <laughs> you know, I closed that chapter a long time ago. I think it was since uh, I saw Spike Lee do the right thing. It was since then <laughs> I to just do the right thing for self. Okay, uh, I got you. So I don't. I don't need to be, <laughs> you know, pretty much, uh, <laughs> you know, following the latest and greatest. You know, yeah, in, you know what's the way out? <laughs> yeah. You know, my way out is going in.
0: Have you ever thought about what kind of legacy you want to leave? You're you're still very young and I feel like you have several decades ahead of you, but I'm curious if you've thought about your legacy and what you would like that to be.
1: Well, no, I, I, I just keep living it. Yeah. Mm. I just keep living it and, and making my, my imprint every day but also, you know, making sure that it's, it's out there right now, you know. Yeah. And just keep teaching others, passing it on, and keep learning. I have not mm. yet fully arrived. Yeah. You know, so my legacy still has to be, you know, wrapped up fully before it can be delivered. Right. You know, so I'm not going to interfere. <laughs> I, I hear think you. it's One of our biggest challenge, you know.
2: Yeah. We're,
1: we're, we interfere too much, you know. So I, I have let go. You know, I've let go, and uh, I think you know I've 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 contributed enough already.
2: Mm. But
1: I know I have a whole lot more to contribute than what I've already contributed. Yeah. So I don't want to limit it to you know. Writing my greatest right now, you know, because yeah. I don't think it is even here yet. You
3: know, no, I hear you. So
1: I look, I look forward. I look forward to, uh, yeah, possibly another seventy years. Who knows? You know, right? Who, who knows? I, I don't want to find out right now. You know, I, I hear just gotta you. Keep doing it. I know that I'm not going to be self-destructing.
3: Yes, That's
0: my legacy. Yes, don't love it for those of us who are, are around here, around these parts um, for now, I mean, I've lived in Africa and I've lived elsewhere and I could feel the difference in my body and just how much better I feel. But when we're not in a tropical environment, um, do you have any advice for how we could possibly, you know, make things more sustainable?
1: Wow. Well, I say if, if, if the sun don't shine enough where you, where you live, eat more of it.
2: Mm, that's For good. For that
1: more reason, you definitely need to get to eating sun-fired foods.
2: Mm. You
1: know, foods that are packing sunshine in them. Mm. You know, Some people say, oh, no, you should not be eating tropical fruits in the winter in environments where they don't grow. Oh, no. I'm on the opposite end of that scale. Hmm. You need to have more tropical foods. <laughs> mm. you, know, you need to have more because a lot of us that live in these types of environments we still trying to live a tropicalized life. Yeah. You know, we're not out there, you know, on the snow, rolling around like the teddy bears, butt naked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we got on all kinds of long johns and masks and muffins and all kinds of stuff, you know, still trying to live that tropicalized life. Yeah. And when we go home into, into our home, we, we hit, hit the wall and, Smack the thermometer and dial up Africa, (laughs) you know. Right. 70 degrees in my house, 80 degrees. So, you know, so yes, ideally, eventually we need to come back to where life is more sustainable without, you know, dragging our footprint all over the planet and wasting resources and things like that. But living where you are, you have to be realistic, you have to accept, and we need to work with what's available to us
2: Mm -hmm. in that
1: environment And if we can't, you know, if there's not enough, then we have to, yes, we have to go take our time out now and then, go home to the tropics,
2: Mm. get
1: recharged and come back or, or even import things if that's what's necessary. Right. Go to some tropical neighborhoods in where we're in the communities in which we live and, and buy up their mangoes and, you know, and bananas and these types of things, you know, and enjoy life that way. But you know, we we really need to uh, number one accept where we are, who we are, mm. and what we've been pre- blessed with. Yes, before we can really think about leaping leaping out, because we might be getting into something worse, even in the tropics. You know, where, mm. we, where we've been comfortable, but even there, say in the U.S., there's certain places like Florida, you know, that is just as good mm. as being, you know, in Jamaica. You know, in right. terms of the the climate. And, you know, what the environment has to offer us, you know? Yeah. So so we just, each one have to be realistic. It's about our own reality, you know, not about, you know, uh, some wishing and hoping and, you know, punishing ourselves in the process. You know, we need to enjoy our life and make it work with whatever blessings we, we have available to us.
0: Love it! You are so inspiring. Um, where do people find you online, and what what services like? Can people take classes with you online these days, or how does it work?
1: No, not not yet, not fully. You okay, know, I do have a, a online webinar. Mm-hmm. I do every every Wednesday at one p.m. Eastern time, mm-hmm. and it's free. Great. You know, you know it, one of the things with me over the years, I've, I've I guess I've been blessed not to have to become a merchant with what I do. Yeah. You know? So, so you know, I've given so much away. There's plenty of stuff I have on YouTube, on Facebook. You know, there's plenty of freebies all over the place, you know. and uh, But I am working on establishing the online institute presence. Okay. You know, it, we pretty much, things got kind of short-circuited with, with you know, this uh, new culture we're living in right now. Of course. But, we're gonna pick up on that, but I'm doing a lot of uh, you know interviews like this, you mm-hmm. know, with people from around the world. I do have uh, a physical institute in uh, in in the Cayman Islands, mm. and I do receive students here when the planes start flying. You can fly in, you
2: know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, I, I actually, I my main objective for me, for my life, is really to live. Mm. So I've been pretty much guarding myself over the years not to get super extra busy in selling stuff.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: And being this, this grand teacher, this grand you know guru or whatever. I don't need that kind of responsibility. I need to get up in the morning and go to the beach. Right. <laughs> you know, I need to hang out. I need to, I need to spend as much time with myself as the world is trying to demand of me to mm. spend with it. Mm. You know, so in many ways, you know, I started this on a selfish journey. I got into it to protect my life, to defend my life. And for the most part, I'm still quite selfish about it. (laughs) I need my time with me as well. So and but I but I, I am in the position where I'm always happy to share with you, to empower you, to help you unlock your creative culinary living and all of the other energies that are bolted down in you, suffocating, ready ready to be unleashed. Mm. So as the ancient ones say, you know, wake up the sleeping giant within. So I would help you with some keys, some mm-hmm. techniques and that kind of stuff. But uh, leave me alone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let me live my life. You know? <laughs> I hear
0: you. I love it. Um what is yours what are your social media handles? Where can people find you online?
1: Well, Sunfired is the key. Mm-hmm. Sunfired.com. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find everything from there. But otherwise, uh my my name, uh, Aris Latam, A R I S L A T H A M, Facebook. Instagram, you know, these, this is where you're going to find me on the, either one of those, my name or Sun Fired.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Adis. It is time to take a question from Instagram or email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you gotta do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, or respond to the call for questions on my profile at the Raw Girl, or contact me via my website, therawgirl.com. Today's question is from at Fifth Exotic. She says, "Dear Raw Girl, as always, your skin looks amazing. Any skin tips?" <laughs> First off, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And every single time I get a compliment about my skin, I remember the days that I struggled with horrible acne and bad skin. The biggest key to great skin is your diet and hydration. And in order to get great skin, you really need to switch from an outside-in mentality to an inside-out mentality. What I had to do is I had to realize that none of the products that I was using were going to be the magic solution. Instead, I had to clean up my diet and detox my body so that the healthier me would shine from the inside out. This means drinking half your body weight in water, in fluid ounces, eating your water as well with enough fruits and vegetables. And also, you want to pay attention to specific nutrients that are key in maintaining healthy skin, including vitamin A, zinc, omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin E, vitamin C, which also helps the body produce collagen. And you want a diet that's low in sugar and low in dead oils or fried food. If you do all these things and you increase your intake of fruits and vegetables, all of that is going to help you get your glow up. I really hope that helps you, sis. All right, it is time to close out the show. Hopefully this show has inspired you to see how your decision to live a healthy lifestyle today and stick with it long-term can yield amazing dividends in your golden years. A long-term study by the MacArthur Foundation found that 70% of physical aging and approximately 50% of mental aging is determined by lifestyle choices we make every single day. If you know you're not on the right path, the good news is there's still time. It doesn't matter when you start, it just matters that you do start. Whether it's a high raw food diet, a vegan diet that includes cooked food, a Mediterranean diet, whatever floats your boat, let it be one that feeds you mind, body, and soul and creates balance. Terry Guillemets once said, when it comes to eating right and exercising, there's no I'll start tomorrow. Tomorrow is disease. In our current world climate, I believe we were all that much more aware of how precious today actually is. My prayer for us all is that we seize the day and spend the time we need to figure out what our bodies need to thrive. Well, that's all for today, lady. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at the girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, TheRawGirl.com. For more about the podcast, to subscribe or listen to past episodes, visit StayingAgelessShow.com.